Hello, everyone, and welcome to Esoterica's The Interview. I'm Leah Eichler, uh, Managing Editor of Esoterica, and today I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing Andrew Weiss. Now, Andrew Weiss has a substack. Uh, Andrew, what's your substack called? Uh, it's just andrewmweiss.substack.com. Uh, Andrew, so he has a Substack, and I will I will post it later. Um, Andrew Weiss has a Substack uh, focusing on psychedelics, and a blog called the Psychedelic Blog. And Andrew is um, a, a learner and expert on uh, the evolution of uh, psychedelics in our everyday use. And today we're going to be speaking about uh, the intersection of psychedelics and self help. So welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me, Leigh. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, there's so much that we want to learn about psychedelics, and it's it's such a hot topic right now. And of course, this seems like still early days as we we try and navigate what the um, evolution of psychedelics in our everyday life will look like. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit, just to backtrack, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, from uh, you were at a Wall Street exec, yeah. a tech exec, and now you have this interest in psychedelics. How did you make that transition? Sure, it's it's. I, I would want I want to say it's atypical, but I don't know if there is a conventional path towards psychedelics. Uh, so perhaps not. perhaps it's not that atypical. Um. So yeah, I, I started my career on Wall Street. I you know the typical. I lived in New York uh, City for for many years. Um, but wanted to do something more fulfilling. So I left and, and I, I was in tech for you know over a decade, uh, you know, building and, and scaling teams for some really well-known, you know, hyper growth companies. Um, and for me, the catalyst for change was in 2014, you know, my sister had unexpectedly uh, passed away and, um, you know, grief can be a profound catalyst and motivator for change, for introspection. And uh, that's what was the kind of inception of my, you know, desire to learn more about psychedelics um, and, and ultimately heal. I think at the time it was, it was really like a selfish cause that I was in a lot of pain and um, I was trying to do different things to, you know, uh, ameliorate that, that pain. And um, I came across, you know, psychedelics and, and like a lot of people, probably like a lot of folks that will listen to this, you know, my association with psychedelics was recreational. Oh, you do that in college. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, uh, but when I started to kind of, you know, really get curious and, and, you know, beneath the veneer of that um, and read, and listen to the podcast, you know, Michael Pollan and Tim Ferriss and R.B. Marcos and, and really understand that like, oh, wait a minute, like th that's wrong, that these medicines are, are been around for, you know, since the dawn of, of, of humankind um, and they're here to, to help us. They're not here to, to, to be, uh, you know, just something to have fun with. And so um, I started attending various uh, psilocybin journeys and 5-MUDMT ceremonies, uh, MDMA, and it's just the impact was just so profound and uh, and really life changing. Uh, so that's kind of was was my catalyst into the world that I that I live in now. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I mean, so fascinating. I mean, that's what you said was really fascinating. I wish I could go back and quote it. Um, it's so. I mean, you. you uh, you relied on psychedelics, various, I'm assuming specific psychedelics, you mentioned a few, um, psilocybin, yeah. MDMA, uh, to, um, to heal. So uh, how does, how does that, A, what, what made you turn to them for healing and, and what does that process actually look like? Sure. Um, so the first, uh, reason I went to them, um, I, 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 the first medicine I tried was psilocybin, uh, which mm -hmm. is the, you know, active ingredient in, in, in mushrooms. It's often referred to as magic mushrooms. Right. Um, 
and I had done these in college, you know, recreationally. Um, yeah. And uh, I had read a lot about, you know, uh, this was before I believe the Johns Hopkins trials that have become pretty popular in, in, mm -hmm. in uh, their results. But I had started to read a lot about, you know, these these medicines can actually fundamentally change your your brain patterns. They can actually change the physiology of your brain. And hmm. things that I read that really, you know, jumped out at me was that if you, um, you know, ruminative thoughts are really hard to unmoor yourself from. Uh, and that's how I, that's where I felt like I was struggling with the grief. And I had made a lot of other changes. I had quit alcohol. Uh, I had lost 30 pounds, you know, training. Uh, you know, I had started meditating. So I was taking a lot of, you know, gradual steps to self-improvement, but mm -hmm. I was still having the same thoughts about, you know, my sister and, and, uh, and the grief that came with it. And, um, you know, the, the, the whole gambit of self-loathing and like, could I have been a better older brother and all these different things. And those thoughts were persistent and, and they were chronic and they didn't seem to be stopping despite other uh, changes, you know, positive changes I had made. And in one psilocybin journey, um, you know, the, it just it was absolutely uh, unequivocal to the before and after uh, where, you know, it was just a, a closure with, with a lot of things that happened. It was a kind of a coming to terms. It was a and I think the last thing I would say was it completely removed fear of death. Uh, mm. And I think so many of us, you know, live with a probably mm. unspoken, unconscious fear of death. And all of those concerns were ameliorated as well. And when you no longer fear death, then, you know, by definition, the loss of someone that passed away becomes less uh, significant. Um, you know, mm. you still honor their lives and cherish them and remember them, but it becomes less of a... Uh, of a albatross around your neck if you don't view death as like this, you know, final thing that's very sad and, and dire. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Would you, are you open to sharing uh, what happened to your sister? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. She overdosed. Um, she, uh, unfortunately, you know, heroin, uh, and, and that's, you know, another reason why I, I, I love writing about this subject, you know, heroin and fentanyl, which has killed more people than, than suicide, COVID, you know, uh, all these so other it's a massive problem, right? Yeah. And the these are all just attempts to, to heal, right? But the healing market uh, has been really owned by by the pharmaceutical companies, um, mm -hmm. which gave us things like fentanyl. And you know, these medicines are here for a reason. They're here for these. This is how the indigenous tribes use them. How they were used in Meso uh, Mesoamerica. There's now more and more uh, scientific proof that. You know, the, the wine that the Greeks were drinking out of had ergot in it, which is the active component in LSD. So, you know, mm -hmm. the medicines go back, you know, to the, to the arguably to the beginning of human history. And um, I, I see a great amount of risk in their being used recreationally. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously the alternative of just, you know, banishing them and stigmatizing them and letting pharmaceutical companies uh, own that healing market is probably even more damaging. So, um yeah, it's it's just been, you know, everything that I've read and experienced uh, has proven to me that you know these are these these can play such a vital role in our in our future. Hmm. Uh, that's fascinating. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I suppose the words iron the irony is not lost on me in that you know your sister died of a drug overdose and and that you turn to drugs for healing, but in a, in a holistic way. And I mean that you know from you know very from a sensitive standpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean. It's it's reintroducing what what drugs mean to us as a society. I mean, uh, there is an evolution. Obviously, we have a, uh, a terrible uh, drug problem uh, in our society. I mean, I, I think I, I've known three people, not not close people, but people in my sphere 
who have OD'd uh, since uh, the start of COVID. And, um, and it's, it's always a shock to the system. But here you are turning to, um, to, I mean, holistic or psychedelic medicine to heal yourself. Now, when you um, embarked on this journey, you, um, do you do it in a solitary fashion? Do you have a guide? Where do you source? Um, you know, wh where would you even, where would a newbie even start really? Yeah. Um, so definitely not alone. I think that's like absolutely imperative that, uh, most of these medicines should not be taken alone as mm -hmm. now a pretty frequent, like psychedelic traveler, uh, for lack of a better term, I, right. I ritualize uh psilocybin i will do that occasionally on my own still with a very um focused uh you know mindset on on set setting the journey itself and then integrating the experience afterward um but you know unfortunately a lot of these medicines still are illegal um right. so access is absolutely an issue uh i think we'll see those you know uh that lessening in, in the coming years mm -hmm. i think the johns hopkins trials right um, and just an overall, you know, the war on drugs failed, right? Like, right. and I, that's become politically agnostic, which is, you know, incredibly hard in the U.S. I'm, I'm sure in Canada as well. Like, yeah. uh, both sides of the political spectrum have realized the war on drugs is a is a, is a losing game. Mm -hmm. And so, currently, it's still very difficult. You have to go find a shaman, um, which I highly recommend doing, especially for newbies. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's precarious. Um, uh, but my goal, and, and part of my goal of this writing, is that is to help destigmatize it so these things can become accessible much mm -hmm. in the same way that we've, we've legalized cannabis and and you know now that access to that you know flowers is pretty pretty easy so when you mentioned that you sometimes do it on a solitary basis would that be uh, what are we talking microdosing or are we talking regular dosing yeah i um i decouple microdosing from like the ritual psilocybin ceremony uh or, and, and so microdosing i would categorize completely different and, and that has its own benefits and, and i do microdose on and off uh intermittently throughout the year but um i'm referring to just a generic uh just an absolute like an actual you know ingestion of psilocybin usually you take between three and four and a half grams that's what's usually referred to as a hero dose uh mm -hmm. it is enough to experience the full you know power of the fungi um, and all of the, you know, usual experiences that people associate with it. Uh, and I'll either take that, you know, with my partner, um, I do have a shaman, uh, or once in a while, I'll take that in, uh, in a solo uh, setting, which, which I don't recommend. Can you uh, explain a microdosing to the audience a little bit? I mean, I, I think many have heard of it. Yep. I don't think they understand the actual uh, benefit or, or how it's used. What is the objective of microdosing? And is it always psilocybin? Is it other uh, psychedelics as well? Yeah, um, there is a growing popularity in, in people microdosing other uh, psychedelics I've, in terms of I've heard of it being used in, in MDMA and LSD. Um, I have only microdosed psilocybin. That's where it's most popular. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it's just the it's the process of taking a very small quantity, usually less than one gram. So you're right. not you're not experiencing visuals or any hallucinogenic properties while you're you know driving your kids to, to soccer practice. Um, right, right. Uh, very small dosage, but um, and it's right. This is anecdotal, so I'm not like there's no studies I can I can cite here, but right. it results in a far more creative mindset, uh, less stressed, more mm -hmm. of an accepting mentality, almost uh, tantamount to like what the Stoics talk about of just uh, you know accepting life as it comes to you. Right. Um, and 
I do 30 days on 30 days off. And, it, and I do that one, cause I don't want the you know efficacy of the, of the medicine to, to dissipate and have a diminutive effect over time. But I also mm-hmm. do it because I find that the 30 days on, I'm just so much happier, lighter, uh, going through life in a, in a far less stressed, uh, disposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's incredibly powerful and, and, and something that, you know, when used responsibly can be very additive to someone's life. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I mean, I find it fascinating. Um, uh, so, I mean, you recently wrote about uh, the intersection of uh, psychedelics and self-help. And obviously this is psychedelics have been part of your, uh, your journey. I, I won't call it a self-help journey, but I guess your journey for healing. Mm-hmm. Um how how do you see i mean it, it, it presents a very interesting perspective in that the self-help industry is you know i'll let you elaborate on it where do you see the intersection of self-help and psychedelics yeah so i identified three major reasons why i see this intersection uh in, in the article you know the first um you know was just instant gratification right like right. we are a society that's wired for for immediacy in everything that we do and and that's exacerbated with younger people, uh, right. you know, had social media and Postmates and Netflix since, you know, they can remember. Um, and if you look at a lot of conventional forms of self-improvement, uh, mm-hmm. they're just, they're going to take time. And, right. I, and I don't advocate against them. Like I personally subscribe to a vast majority of them. I have a library full of self-help books that have been transformative in my life. Um, I take cold showers. I train six days a week. I don't drink alcohol. I meditate every day. They're all excellent tools to betterment. But they do have one glaring fallacy, which is that they don't bring immediate results. Um, mm-hmm. Psychedelics do. One of the ones I write about a lot, 5-MeO-DMT, which I'm happy to speak to more about your audience because it's probably the most obscure and, and lesser known psychedelic. Um, you know, one 10 to 15 minute journey and you are a completely transformed person. Uh, and mm-hmm. The second piece I write about is just potency. Um, you know, we learned in the famous, you know, 1980s slogan from Nancy Reagan, like, you know, just say no, how ineffectual of a strategy that was. Like people like drugs as you, you know, as, as you pointed out, like I turned to drugs after losing my sister to drugs. And that's right. because, you know, we're pleasure seekers. Like we don't wake up and choose to not, you know, seek pleasure. And, and you know, while why that, you know, why Nancy's, you know, just say no thing was just so absurd was because it's just like okay deny being a human that that could have been the slogan instead of just say no right um, and uh you know potent medicines things that make us feel really good or mm-hmm. enter a realm that doesn't seem that like anything you've ever experienced in your natural life are going to be incredibly attractive to, to a lot mm-hmm. of folks uh and, and the third piece i see this intersection has to do with just the power of experience versus education and um you know, I think that's where like the self-help books fall short. And again, I've read a lot of them. Most of them are really good, some less than others, but um, you know, they, they talk a lot about, you know, how you do this, this, and this, and it makes your life better, but that doesn't change neuroplasticity of the brain. Only experience does, you know, Mm -hmm. I can, uh, I couldn't tell you how powerful of an experience bungee jumping was until I actually went and did it. And, you know, psychedelics offer that they're experiential. They're not you don't read about it in a book uh, mm-hmm. and, and walk away with insights and takeaways that the second something, an emotionally triggering situation happens in your life, you're likely to compartmentalize and forget. You walk away with a, a fundamentally different worldview uh, shaped by experience that can have a profound and lasting impact on how you deal with the day-to-day stress of being a parent, uh, uh, you know, an employee, you know, living, uh, living your life. And so, you know, 
I think when you look at those three things and you look at the fact that it's a $10 billion market self-help and, and clearly that's just indicative that people are hurting and, and struggling and trying to you know live the best lives that they can. Right. I just see a coalescence here that, that could uh, absolutely help uh, so many people. No, I, I mean, it's interesting that you, you referenced a drug earlier on that you said is, is more obscure. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so 5-MeO-DMT. So most people uh, by this point are familiar with DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. Right. Um, ayahuasca has become popular with a lot of celebrities and, right. and, you know, and, and certainly where I live here in Los Angeles. Um, now, the challenge mm -hmm. with ayahuasca is it is incredibly long. And, and I view that the, the journey itself is... Right. You know, you, oftentimes you still have to fly down to a place like Peru or Mexico, uh, and it's it can be a 10 to 12 hour journey. Right. Now, for most people that are busy parents and work and, you know, living lives like that's going to be a very tough barrier to entry. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that plausible. But 5-MeO-DMT is actually not a plant at all. It actually comes from the Sonoran toad frog. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just very bizarre because it's a frog right. that spends 11 months of its life underground. Okay. Uh, it, comes, it comes above ground for one month of the year to, to, to mate and um, in a very in a way that doesn't harm the frog. Shamans can uh, take the secretion. It's, it's basically grounded up and you smoke it. And um, it, it creates between 10 to 15 minutes of the single most powerful hallucinogenic experience that one can ever have. Uh, it's somewhat ineffable. Uh, I try to articulate what it's like, uh, but it's and I've done it three times now. Um, one just most recently in here in Joshua Tree at a ceremony, uh, not too far from where I live. And it's, it changes everything. It changes your entire life. Um, you never really go through life after the 5-MeO-DMT experience in the same way that you did before. And, and in a uniquely positive change where you realize that the world that, you know, we're seeing every day, the world that your evolutionary brain came to see is not the actual world that exists, right? It's, your brain is, is selecting uh, data and selecting things that would help you avoid predation and, and meet a mate. And that's not the, the totality of what's out there. Uh, and 5-MeO-DMT, I think, will one day replace ayahuasca as the, as the you know, go-to medicine for spiritual enlightenment and healing of pain because, right. because of its brevity. There's so much power in the fact that you can have this absolutely ineffable experience that lasts 15 minutes. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I know you say it's indescribable, but can you try to describe it a little bit for us? Yeah, well, I'll do my best and I'll include, you know, anecdotes from the, the, the ceremonies that I went to. So uh, okay. I've been to three of these ceremonies uh, and they were all, you know, ran by trusted shamans. This is one ceremony that you actually need more than one shaman present because it can create what appears mm -hmm. to be a paralysis of sorts. A lot of people do just kind of buckle and fall down. Uh, it's it's a, it can be a little bit uh, frightening to watch uh, for a first time uh, uh, ceremony goer. Um, but uh, let me start with my experience, um, okay. which was somewhat atypical. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and luckily, I had my partner there who kind of witnessed uh, two of the three ceremonies and, and could you know help tell me what happened afterward because you really don't know. Right. I just laid down. I had a, apparently I had a smile on my face from ear to ear. Looked up at the, the clouds, the sky, and just felt this like profound oneness that, you know, uh, with the universe. And, and I was reminded on my first uh, experience, I kept hearing the words dimitas reverberate like through my, my body. I don't speak Latin Leia. So uh, being the curious person I am, when I went home, I Googled dimitas and it, and it turns out it's Latin for let go. And oh. the medicine 
teaching me to let go of this pain that, that my sister wouldn't wanted me, wouldn't want this for me. She would have wanted me to live a fulfilling, happy life. Um, and it was just, it was just so profound that, that this medicine was teaching me that in my subsequent sessions, similar physical reaction where I lay down, apparently I end up like with my hands, like grabbing like the dirt, feeling really connected to the earth. And, you know, I was, you know, Alan Watts, the great philosopher writes a lot about like, you know, we don't, you know, come into this earth, we come out of this earth. And that's a great way to articulate what it feels like when you're on 5-MeO-DMT. You kind of realize like you are not separate from the tree, from the, and I know this sounds like woo-woo, kismet, hippie stuff, but it, it, it's it's how it feels. You, you you get this sense that like you're no different than a branch on a tree um, and that there's this strong connection to nature, a strong connection to your fellow human. Mm-hmm. Uh, at DMT ceremonies, uh, you will see people hug that never met each other, cry, Um and my experiences were very beautiful, very peaceful, very incredibly cathartic. Other people's experiences, although they their takeaways were uniquely positive, were far more. Um, I would argue, I would say maybe releases a lot of crying, a lot of screaming out for lost loved ones, and mm-hmm. these you know incredibly profound like releases of what seems to be a harboring of anger and pain and resentment and loss. Um, and, and maybe we just all maybe these are all just you know surface level manifestations of, of different pain. And, and we mm-hmm. exude that in, in our own way. But um, yeah, five MO DMT ceremonies are, are, you know, unprecedented. Like you literally, these 12, 13 strangers and these shamans, like you walk away with a shared experience that, that uh, is unlike anything else um, that, that I've ever experienced. That's uh, I, I got chills a little bit when you mentioned the, the Dimitas and, and then the Latin meaning. Wow. Uh, wow. So, I mean, that's, um, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, I mean, how about, I guess the, the fear, you know, people have who are just, you know, dipping their toe in is that the bad trip that everyone has, you know, you grow up and that's the warning. I mean, your trip will be the bad one. And, you know, what what, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, it's, it's a valid concern, um, first and foremost. And I, in my first piece on Substack, that's why, you know, I write a lot about the dangers of recreation, you know, recreationalizing these medicines and that- right. You know, we've been here before. We were at a point where psychedelics were rising to domestic ubiquity. Um, but what killed that movement was nothing, not government intervention. We've seen how ineffectual they were with the war on drugs and, and, and you know, trying to uh, quell that movement. Um, what ended up ruining uh, psychedelics and, and the healing that comes with it was this use of recreational, you know, someone doing LSD at a party and, and just losing their, their minds. Um, right. And that's where the, the bad trip phenomenon happens when a medicine, a incredibly powerful medicine is taken without supervision. It's taken as a way to get high right. uh, and it's taken in the wrong setting with the wrong intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, if you want to mess with your consciousness, like these medicines will do that. And, and, right. and w- y- the result could be absolutely catastrophic. Like there's no sanitizing that fact. Right. Do you know anyone who's ever had a bad trip? Have no, you ever had a bad trip? I have never had a bad trip, but I'm also incredibly methodical and, and uh, you know, pragmatic with how I go about doing these medicines. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, I don't take them as a way to, you know, get high. It's, it's a, even with MDMA, which has probably the biggest association as a recreational party drug. Right. I do at home at a predetermined cadence. I think about what I want to experience. Um, usually I do it with my partner, just the two of us. It's an incredibly, uh, you know, uh, profound experience. So I, I, I don't, 
I don't know of anybody, but I'm also doing it in a circle of people that that you know respect these medicines for the power that they that they they bring you. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so where I mean, you know, 20 years ago, I think it would have been hard for us to imagine that, you know, um, marijuana would be legal just yeah. pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, I think I, I joked, you know, during the um, early pandemic that it was like easier to get weed than it was for me to get a hairdresser appointment. Um, but the, uh, I mean, where do you see it evolving? Like, do you see them? Do you see, do you envision stores where people, do you envision shamans uh, at stores? Like how, how do you think this will play out in the next 10 years? Yeah. So I think if we start with like psilocybin, right, I think that's the one that's likely to become uh, legally accessible quickest. I actually would be a strong advocate against psilocybin being as accessible as, as you mentioned with like cannabis, right? Um, that will allow it to be taken recreationally and, and that, that will result in bad trips. And then we'll be right back to where we were, you know, several decades ago right. in our culture and, um, and the LSD movement. Uh, what, what we're seeing in, um, more and more therapists are now being able to prescribe psilocybin and actually administer it, you know, with, uh, under, and, and the same thing with MDMA. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I see that the future going. I think that these medicines will be legally accessible, but not, you know, being able to bought at a store the way you buy Starbucks, which is a good right. thing. Um, I think, but I would also, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Like I think MDMA and psilocybin are, are well on the way to being legal for, uh, couples therapy for therapeutic purposes. Um, mm-hmm. However, I would think with 5-MeO-DMT, uh, we're not there yet. One, mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's not a plant medicine uh, and it comes from a toad will scare a lot of people. Um, right. And to the intake mechanism, right? Like smoking something is just a more powerful uh, way to absorb a medicine than taking a pill as you do with MDMA or putting right. some germs into a tea the way you do with psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Smoking something will also just have an, a natural connotation of, well, that must be really, you know, bad. Um, so I think there's, there's three, there's, there's separate futures based on the actual psychedelic, but mm-hmm. what we've seen with the failure of the war on drugs is if there is a market for it, it will win out. Like we, you just, you right. can't legislate morality forever, right? Like if people right. say hey, like this thing can help me and the alternative is, is fentanyl and Oxycontin and other illegal drugs that, that when not taken the right way, the result isn't a bad trip, but a fatality. And, right. you know, I think we can get, I think a lot of people will get behind the movement as well. No, I mean, it, it is fascinating. I mean, it's, um, I mean, obviously, you know, those drugs were originally, um, you know, inspired by you know, the medical community to deal with medical issues and to deal with pain. And yeah. And, and so, I mean, what's the, you know, what is the devil's advocate argument? Like, well, how can this go wrong, really? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, there's a few ways it can go wrong. One way it could go wrong is, and, and Pollen spoke about this really eloquently, that, you know, the the, the ethos of these medicines is, is ego dissolution. They take right. away ego. They take away sense of self. Uh, they really reinforce this feeling of oneness with your fellow human, with nature, with the universe, with your, um, but they can also create a lot of ego uh, self-aggrandizement. And right. you know, that could lead to um, nefarious, you know, shamans, right? Who use this as a way to self-promote and self-aggrandize. Um, 
therapists administering these medicines in a clinical setting. I mean, these are medicines that can absolutely put you out and wipe out your and create short term amnesia. Um, yeah. So one uh, pitfall, one potential thing to be is, you know, the, the therapists that are administering these medicines, are they highly ethical, highly in, high integrity? Because, you know, you're talking about a patient that's going to be under no different, you know, tantamount to anesthesia. Uh, right. So there's, there's risk there. Obviously, there's risk of driving uh, under the influence of these, which, I, which is why I, I don't advocate for psilocybin being available in, in a psilocybin store. Um, right. They should be done in, in, a, in a ritual type way. Um, but I think ultimately, like, there, there's two different, you know, there's two different ways to heal, right? The pharmaceutical way is to numb. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I ended up actually just quitting alcohol in the, in a couple of years after my sister had passed, like I knew that I was numbing my pain. It, it, it kept my pain at bay, but it was such a, there was such a shelf life on that impact. Right. Mm -hmm. These medicines do 5-MU, DMT, MDMA for sure. Psilocybin is they don't numb you at all. They do the exact opposite. It's they make you feel. They make you feel things that are at times uncomfortable, make you feel things that are beautiful. Uh, they are antithetical to the notion of like, hey, numb the pain that you're in because mm -hmm. time will heal that wound. And, and this is just a bridge to get you there. Well, that's that's nonsense. Time doesn't heal wounds uh, right. of work and experience uh, is the only thing that will heal those wounds. And that's what these medicines do. They 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 work to make you feel these, you know, incredibly powerful, cathartic, you know, moments that, and this isn't just me speaking. I mean, this was all the, the results of the Johns Hopkins study where, mm -hmm. people, you know, they, they equated their psilocybin journey as the most powerful spiritual, uh, you know, uh, event of their lifetime. These were people right. that had children, that had grandchildren, that had lived full, meaningful lives. And this was the one thing that, that changed everything. So it's oh, um, fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to learning more through your Substack, and Thanks. I'll make sure everyone knows about your Substack. Um, and I'm so grateful for your time and for explaining this to uh, the audience and to me because it's uh, it's a journey that I'm uh, very fascinated by. So thank you very much, Andrew. No, thank you, Leia. Thank you for giving this this movement a voice. Um, the work you've been doing is incredible, and I hope this reaches people and it helps people. Thank you so much. I hope so, too. Okay. Great. Bye Thank for you. now. Thank you, everyone, right. for tuning in. Thank you, everyone.